This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. Kia ora, you're listening to the locals on Free FM 89.0. Kod Dan Armstrong, Tokoengoa. There's roughly 55,000 people in the Waipa district today. Statistically, about 550 of them, or 1% of the population, use methamphetamine. An estimated 12% of us have used cannabis in the last 12 months, that's 6,600 people. And by one estimate, 80% of Kiwis have tried cannabis at least once by the age of 21. Please don't think that any of this is new or sudden either. In the 1940s, New Zealand had one of the highest rates of heroin usage in the entire world. Now, we all know there are serious harms that can come from addiction, and we've already covered that on a previous episode, focusing on the state of support available, or, well, lack of. But if prohibition has failed, let's talk about legalisation or decriminalising drugs, or even just destigmatising them so people can reach out for help. To discuss this and where to next post-cannabis referendum, I had a chat with an expert. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals, and this is Carly Mercia and the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Uh, First off, could you give us an idea of what the Drug Foundation actually is? Right, well we're a, um, a charity, we've been around since 1989 and our job is to try and reduce the harm that drugs can cause. Um, and we work right across the Aotearoa and we, um, we really promote um, safer use of drugs and reducing the harm that it causes. Um, we do work in um, schools and with organisations and in communities and we also work a lot with government to try and promote really good uh, policies around drug law. Interesting. And over that time, uh, how have you seen drug laws change or not change? Well, we've still got this big dinosaur of a piece of law in place called the Misuse of Drugs Act, which has been around since 1975. So that overall structure hasn't really changed, but we have seen lots of progress around the edges. So, for example, I think government is much more happy to talk about drug use as a health and social issue now rather than a criminal justice one. It still is a crime, of course, um, but but the attitudes have really shifted and we've seen small uh, changes to our law to reflect that. So, for example, um, 2019 we had a, a, um, a little change to Section 7 of the Misuse of Drugs Act, which basically said uh, it reminded police that they do have a discretion not to prosecute for drug use. Um, and that has led to a, a, a reduction in prosecutions, a small one, but still. Um, and just in general, police have been prosecuting that law less and less over the last 20 years. So we have have had progress there. And we've also had um, some really specific bits of legislation change, like medicinal cannabis has in theory become legal, um, and, though it's still not that easy to access for many people. Um, and then also drug checking has recently it has recently become legal. Um, which means that you can um, go to a festival and you can have your substances that you might be planning to take checked to to check that they are in fact what you thought they were and that's a really cool way of reducing um, harm from people taking unknown you know dangerous substances. And I'm just curious to know why when you say that uh, medicinal cannabis why is it now technically accessible but still is hard to get? 
really complicated, but I'll give you the short <laughs> version. <laughs> so it's legal now. So you can, so it, it, for quite a long time it's been in theory legal, so, but you had to get the minister to approve your prescription, and that was very difficult to do. And then, and very few people had access. And then they said it would be um, easier, so you don't have to go to the minister anymore, but actually a doctor can prescribe it. But the problem is that um, it's been very, very difficult to get products available in New Zealand. Um, and the products that are available are incredibly expensive. And so we've got a, a regulatory model which makes it very hard for people to get their products licensed and you know get them sold in New Zealand at, a, at an accessible price. And alongside that also we've got doctors um, not confident or, or not trained in how to prescribe it. So we've got a, a sort of a perfect storm of doctors not prescribing it and uh, products not being available and also just being incredibly expensive. So what we do have is a lot of people just using it on the black market as was the case previously and they're still using products which are not reliable or regulated and so um, you know they might be getting something quite quite different from what they think they're getting which um, you know is, is less than ideal and also they're facing potentially criminal convictions if they get caught although that tends not to happen very often but what can happen is if you do get caught with medicinal cannabis your products are likely to be destroyed so yeah there's a lot of a lot of issues to unpack we're not there yet um, maybe in five years it will look quite different but, but we're sort of quite um, disappointed that the law you know can still prosecute people who are using cannabis for medicinal purposes and it can still po- prosecute those people who are growing the products as well um, but it's not it's not ideal because we've got a lot of people out there who can't access the legal stuff yet and out of curiosity, how often are people using uh, narcotics within New Zealand, not just uh, cannabis medicinally or recreationally, uh, but narcotics in general? Um, well, it depends which drug you're talking about. So um, with methamphetamine, for example, around 1% of the population uses that every year. Um, with cannabis, around 44% um, have ever used cannabis depending on which survey actually um, some surveys show you know up to 80% up 85% ever use and then uh, around about 15% per year of the adult population use cannabis um, other drugs lower much lower um, and we don't have good data on all of them as well but um, yeah alcohol is our most commonly used drug of course we're around you know 90% of ever used and sort of 75 80 sort of use each year so um, yeah, depends on the drug, um, but we are a nation of people who do try things and use things. These are my words and not yours, so you don't need to worry. But are we effectively a nation of junkies? And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, well, I would never use that word because it's <laughs> quite a stigmatising term. Yep. <laughs> um, and, um, but I think we have high use rates for some drugs, like methamphetamine we're probably right up there, but to some extent that's to do with supply chains and what's available here. When it comes to opioids, we um, are not at all high users. So, you know, where they've got the opioid crisis in America and Canada and some other places, we don't have that issue here. So I think all countries have different drug issues um, and some of that's dependent on social, cultural, historical factors and it's also dependent on trade routes and things like that. Um, but yeah, I think we, we do have we do have high harm from drug use, particularly alcohol. That's really interesting, and it's given me a lot, uh, lot to think on, um, especially uh, with me using the term junkie. 
my apologies for that. It, that came from a place of ignorance. But out of sheer curiosity, is any of the other language we use around narcotics loaded? Um, I'm conscious, I think, marijuana is another uh, word that's that's come from a place of discrimination. Yeah, there. I mean, there are lots of words that we use consciously and unconsciously and, and that can have an impact on the way people behave towards people who use drugs. And they've done studies on this and it's quite fascinating. So even people who work, you know, who are alcohol and addiction counsellors can be influenced by the language that is in this file of a person they haven't met yet. So um, I find this really fascinating. So, for example, if you talk about an addict or a drug user, that's much more um, stigmatising than talking about someone who uses drugs or someone who is addicted to drugs. So in that case, you're talking about a person and a behaviour rather than an actual a description, if that makes sense. So um, I've found that people, alcohol and drug counsellors, who are told this is an addict, um, that they'll, they'll recommend a different form of treatment for someone who's told this is a person who's addicted or a person who's using drugs. So we do have to be quite careful about the language we use um, around it, I guess. And you know, words like junkie is definitely um, a word that's, I guess, it's a little bit dehumanising because you're taking away from the fact that it's a health and social issue and kind of sort of making a value judgment about the person who's using drugs and, and yeah the reason it's important is it because it can have real world impacts on the policy choices and the, and the treatment options and so on that we give to people that use drugs so that's why I'm quite careful about it. Oh, nice thank you very much for correcting me I, I genuinely appreciate it and it is it is thoroughly fascinating. Uh, I'd be curious to turn now uh, to uh, the cannabis referendum. Um, as, from your perspective within the Drug Foundation, uh, how did that all play out? What was the ratio of you know, actual factual information and sort of moral judgment, drugs are bad, all that sort of thing? In the media and things, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh... Oh, bringing back some bad memories. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, <laughs> can, know, we can move on if you like. <laughs> no, no, it's a good thing to talk about. So um, I think we were both surprised and um, pleasantly surprised and saddened as well. So um, there was a lot of really good commentary in the media, which was evidence-based and which is all about, you know, quite compassionate about helping people that suffer from drug use or cannabis use, but also reflecting the fact that the majority of people who use cannabis um, don't actually suffer major health issues and um, the importance of stopping criminalising people and all that sort of stuff. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of support from media and from the public. And then there were some media articles which were um, just didn't seem to have made a huge amount of effort to look up the facts and, and would just trot out the same old you know cliches about um, about <laughs> drug use and uh, you know it being incredibly harmful for every person who ever tries it and all that sort of stuff, which isn't true from any drugs really, and particularly not cannabis, which was one of the more lower harm ones. Um, and we really wanted to have an evidence-based conversation. We didn't always get that, but we, you know, we also got some good conversation out there. But you know, as you know, the outcome was a no vote, which we were very disappointed about. And it wasn't a big gap. It was a tiny sort of forty-nine fifty-one split against uh, legalisation. Uh, what's happened to cannabis reform now? 
Well, I think that bill that we all voted on, which was a very specific bill which sort of um, allowed for sale of cannabis in shops and so on, that's a dead dodo now. That's been voted against. We don't have that bill. But what we do have is we have a whole country that supports drug law reform of some kind. So when we've done research and surveys, we know that, you know, a huge percentage of New Zealanders does actually support some kind of law reform. So there was a survey by Helen Clark's foundation earlier this year which found that of people who voted no, nearly 40% of those actually did want to see decriminalised cannabis use. So while they didn't support sales in shops of cannabis, they didn't want to see people being criminalised for their use. I think that's really reflecting the fact that people use cannabis and the rates have been going up despite our drug law. Um, you know, having it illegal has not stopped people using and will never stop people using. So it was about just saying, well, let's just, you know, let's just um, give up on that approach and um, not prosecute people for their use, which just seems like the compassionate and sensible thing to do. So the vast majority of New Zealanders want to do that. And I think that um, we've got a really good chance of getting some kind of decriminalisation over the line. Um, the, the government's talking about um, reviewing that discretion clause that I mentioned earlier and trying to um, see if that's working properly or not, which I can already tell um, them very easily without them doing a review that it's not working very well. So trying to beef that up, we could um, you know, really make that work so that people are just not being prosecuted for their use of cannabis and that would be a really good way to go at this point. Very interesting. Uh, and... Uh, just to get some clarity, uh, if someone's committed a series of crimes and uh, use or possession or distribution of cannabis is one of them, uh, will that mean a heap of people are just getting out of jail scot-free? Or what, what's going to happen uh, to people who have committed crimes uh, and a part of that has been cannabis use? So if you've committed other crimes other than cannabis use, you'd still have committed those crimes, so you'd still be prosecuted for that. We're talking about just not prosecuting for the part that is relating to cannabis use. And so there are plenty of people who, who get prosecuted and convicted each year that are only prosecuted because of, of drug use, not for other things as well. So they wouldn't have any convictions, and then the people who had both burglary and drug use would still have a conviction for burglary, but not for drug use. So that's, that's how that would look. You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0 and this is Carly's song pick. Joan Armour Trading's Down to Zero. All the feeling when you're reeling You step lightly thinking you're number one Down to zero with a word leaving For another one Walks to the crowd and takes your man Sends you rushing to the mirror But your eyebrows and say There's more beauty in you than anyone I remember the one who walks and beside you More dear here, let the waves come and rush She took the worry from your head But then again, she put trouble in your heart instead and you fall down to the ground, down to the ground. You know how to do more crying when you're 
Here's part two of my conversation with Carly Mercier from the New Zealand Drug Foundation. Why is it uh, that in a community like Te Aumutu and numerous other communities around New Zealand, these rural spaces, quite small, uh, narcotics, especially methamphetamine, is so accessible? Well, I think where there is demand, there's going to be supply. Um, and so that goes across the whole country. Um, it doesn't really matter where you are. There, there's people um, using alcohol and drugs, um, and so it's not so in all demographics. Um, and, and the real issue for us is that um, when you're looking at rural, rural, more rural populations, the problem is that it's much harder to access treatment services and support if you're in a rural area. Um, so I guess the, the key um, determinants for, for using substances harmfully is things like having existing poor mental health, um, poverty, lack of affordable housing, unemployment, you know, all those social determinants, um, abuse and neglect, family violence or trauma, that kind of thing. Um, and also isolation can be um, a determinant for um, harmful, you know, for mental health and, and addictions as well. So, um, and that's obviously going to be a problem for some people in rural populations as well. Um, but yeah, accessing support services and treatment services can be um, is hard wherever you are, and those issues can be compounded if you're in a rural location. Um, so especially residential treatments, you may have to tra- travel long, long distances. But even for you know counselling and so on, it may not be easy to access that. Although I would say that um, with COVID, one small, small <laughs> good thing to have come out of COVID-19 is that. Um, I think it's more it's easier now or uh, service providers are more open to online treatment and telephone treatment and things like that so um you know it is possible to access treatment through online or on telephone um but yeah harder harder in general to access to access 
uh, in rural areas. The only problem with that is that uh, there are parts uh, of my district, the Waipa, and the surrounding uh, west coast uh, of the North Island, where uh, getting internet reception is it's impossible. Um, and I know that's not your job to fix, but I'm curious if this current government is putting more resources into bringing that support uh, down into rural communities. I don't know what they've got planned about internet in general, um, but I do know with drug um, with drug um, support access and so on, um, there's online stuff, but also there's a telephone helpline, so you can um, call the alcohol and drug helpline um, and they can put you in touch with services as well. But yeah, it is a it is an access issue, which which is a real um, a real curly one that needs to be addressed. I think. Uh, and uh, I'm also aware that here in the Waikato, probably about three or four weeks ago, uh, the drug and alcohol court opened in Hamilton, uh, and that you know, while fantastic, has a relatively small number of beds, and it's uh, come out of a pilot in Auckland. Uh, can you give us a bit of an idea of how successful those courts have been? Yes, yeah, so there's a few around the country now, and. Um it's uh, an interesting one because I think the evaluations don't show them as being hugely successful, um, but also what they do do is they bring a range of services together and help them work better together, so health and um, and um, criminal justice and, and social services, and so that can be a positive spin-off of having an alcohol and other drug court in your area. Um, and I do like the way that they try to behave holistically. So, you know, helping people rather than punishing them seems to me the key thing we ought to be doing in a civilized society to try and stop people, you know, having issues. But, you know, the fact that they, they take the really hardest, curliest um, people, or like the people who have the most entrenched issues, I guess, and that, that that's the kind of criteria for getting in. So I guess it's not surprising that... Um, you know, the evaluations don't show massive success in terms of recidivism because you're actually dealing with the people who are, um, you know, having the, the, the widest range of issues alongside that drug use. Um, I think just in general, it would be great. Um, the more our criminal justice system can look at helping people holistically, the better. And then even wider than that, can we help people earlier so they don't end up in the criminal justice system? Um, that would be my preference, and that's a lot cheaper as well to you know, not wait till a person starts offending um, to, to help you know, pay for their drug use or whatever, but actually help them before it gets to that really difficult phase. It's a lot cheaper, it's a lot more effective. Um, and so putting more money in that front, I think, is definitely going to be your best bet overall. Uh, and just to wrap up the interview, I'd be interested to know uh, what is the Drug Foundation's vision uh, for narcotics laws in New Zealand? Well, we'd like to see a complete overall of our Misuse of Drugs Act because it's from 1975, so it's the same age as me and it's just a bit of an old dinosaur, not like me. Um, it's, you're, it's, you're timeless, Carly. Don't, don't <laughs> think like that. <laughs> exactly. So um, it's it's basically a piece of law that just doesn't work anymore, and it's got so many bugbears and things wrong with it that it just needs to be you know thrown away and start again with a piece of law that's administered by the Ministry of Health. 
that is focused on you know health and social approaches to drug use um, and things like our classification system within the Misuse of Drugs Act is completely non-evidence based so we've got class A, B or C supposed to be depending on how harmful a drug is and actually um, it's not in line with evidence, current evidence around you know what are the most harmful drugs and you can get put in prison for, you know, you can get a life sentence for dealing you know, magic mushrooms for example and we know that those aren't particularly harmful in the scale of things so that kind of thing needs to change and, and there's also issues with levels at which um, you'll be done for supply rather than possession which are not in line with how much a person who's using heavily might be using so they might have a large quantity of a substance in their house or in their possession which is for their personal use but they'll end up going to prison for supplying um, drugs, even though they weren't necessarily doing that. Um, so there's a whole lot of things in there that just need to change and, and we'd like to see a brand new law. Uh, no criminal charges for drug use um, for any substance um, and evidence-based you know, classification of, of other drugs. And we'd also like to see you know, regulation of low-harm substances, lower-harm substances such as cannabis. Um, I think it's a really good way of <laughs> stopping criminalisation of people but also um, I guess directing people to lower harm substances where they're less likely to have issues um, than you know, substances like meth which are, are much more harmful so yeah, that's what we'd like to see and we'll keep pushing for that Thanks Carly, I really enjoyed that conversation and loved learning new things including about the language I need to change If you want to know more about the argument for drug reform in Aotearoa check out drugfoundation.org.nz. Now, the Drug Foundation also provides advice if you're concerned about your usage or someone else's, and the Drug and Alcohol Helpline is 0800 787 797, and in an emergency, call 111. Additionally, within the Waikato, we have the Community Alcohol and Drug Service, or CADS, to lend a hand to, and you can contact them at 07 8346902 And that wraps up another show. You can find this and other episodes of The Locals on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, just search The Locals, and I'll post the links to them on the Dan Armstrong Waipaking Country Facebook page. We'll be back next Monday at 11am with Anglican Church Reverend Julie Guest. But until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Arira. Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.